can't tell what it is out here yet. Yeah, it's a, a high of like 62 today. But oh, perfect. perfectly sunny. Oh, crisp. I love September. I love, I love September in Ohio, too. It's yeah. beautiful. Yeah, we're going to be... I miss uh, it, actually. Pardon me? I miss it. Oh, that, I bet you That do. kind of crisp feeling in the air. And yeah. The, kind of the, when you're starting to smell the leaves a bit. Mm. Yeah. Um, you know, and the Oktoberfest's happening and that oh, kind of stuff. It's so, you're right. so cool there. One of my favorite, uh, least favorite things and favorite things is we do a lot of flowers in the back patio. And oh. uh, Lisa is very adamant about as soon as they start to go, get them out of here. Kill them, bag them up, <laughs> put them in the trash. I find that so depressing. And, uh, uh, I can see that. But, but what we do immediately thereafter is we go out to Patterson's Apple Orchard Farms or whatever Ooh. it's called. It's, uh, it's out there uh, on the border of Geauga County. Cape. Okay. If you remember that, if you go past Mayfield and keep going east, all of a sudden it's like you're instantly in the country. Yes, I know exactly what you're talking. Okay, yep. very hilly and everything. Yes, yes, and kind so, of some gorges out there and oh, stuff like so that. So gorgeous. So we go yeah. out there every year at that time. You know, it should probably be a few weeks from now. Uh, get our mums and corn stalks and uh, pumpkins, all these different kinds of, all of this stuff. And so we replace the flowers with the fall garb. And oh. it's really beautiful. So that's oh. one of my favorite things. It's kind of our own tradition. Yeah. So nice. So fun. I love that. Yeah. yeah. It's that time of year. Here we are. And by the way, welcome to Over 50 Starting Over. I'm Barry Edwards. And I'm Merle Garrison. Uh, good to see you again, buddy. Hey, Great we, seeing you always. We have had two Browns games since the last time we talked. Two of them. So we had one last Sunday, the opener, yeah, yeah. which they got killed by who? By who? Oh, Ravens. Yeah, Ravens. Yeah. Uh, one of the best teams in the NFL. But they looked so incredibly unprepared, which I expected because we have a new coach every year. And this year, we, you know, we didn't have preseason games. So, I mean – Right. That hurts the Browns what do you more expect? than anybody. Exactly. Yeah. Right. But so it, then, it affects everybody. So it, they, everyone should be But not, not a polished team as well. They already have their systems in place. They know what right. they're doing. You know. Yeah, yeah. I know. Uh, so then <laughs> I know. <laughs> so then uh, last <laughs> night. Last night we go against one of the more struggling teams in the NFL, the Bengals. And yeah. they won 35 to 30. I just hate the Browns won. Yes. Okay. And uh, it it was a good win in the fact that boy, the offense looked completely overhauled and it looked like it was run with common sense. Whereas the week prior, it looked like soft Freddie was still at at the helm. Um, Mm -hmm. So I don't know what that was about other than, Hey, they needed the practice games for sure. But A bittersweet win last night. For one, I hate games that start at 8.30 p.m. Uh, <laughs> that's a little late for me to get involved in a three-hour game. You know what I mean? It is. It really is. Uh, but anyways, so the offense looked good. The defense looks terrible. It's a total sieve. Oh, that's going to be a problem. Yeah, and, but I will say uh, Bengals But wait, have, didn't you say they beat them by 30-some points? 35 to 30. 
Oh, 35 to 30. Okay. Okay. Now I will, so. I got to give big props to the Bengals first round draft choice, Joe Burrows, their new quarterback. Mm-hmm. He looked like Baker Mayfield looked as a rookie when he came in just totally in control. Uh, the stage was not too big to say the least. Um, and very accurate. Uh, I got to say, I think the Bengals got a bright future out of them. I really wow. Will. Mm-hmm. All right. That's interesting. I haven't seen them uh, have a good season for forever. Oh, for sure. They're in the well, Super Bowl. They have terrible ownership, you know, not like yeah. uh, Cle- someone from Cleveland can uh, brag about ownership. No, no, but um, you know about it. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so anyways, that was kind of fun. Uh, what, did, what have you had going on, on this week? I, I got some really interesting work stuff to talk about, but how did your week know. go? I don't know if I have a whole lot of interesting things to talk about uh, my week, but I will say this. One thing I've learned is that uh, the power of researching before you go into an appointment uh, is huge. And the things that you can find on LinkedIn about whoever it is you're going to be meeting with are gems. I mean, if you're not looking at that kind of stuff before you go in and then go into their activity and look at what they're interested in, because whatever they're clicking on to say that they like, or sometimes they even write articles like you do, Barry. And uh, how flattering is it when you meet with somebody and they say, oh, I I saw you on Over 50 starting over and Mm -hmm. I liked what you said when you said this. Uh, That's huge. It's huge for me, but turns out it's huge for everybody. If they wrote an article and you Mm -hmm. reference that article in the meeting that you have and you apply it to whatever it is that you're talking about, guess what? You are going to have instant favor and it, Mm -hmm. it works it works so well because you're showing an, an intense interest in that person. And that is really a key. And I've, I've actually experienced that a couple of times and it's been really fun. I met with a chief information officer a couple of weeks ago and I had done all this research. And one of the things I found was that um, she had won a ballroom dance contest about uh, a couple of years ago, and there was a picture of her. How cool. I know, there was a picture of her. You should have seen the smile on her face. I mean, sure. she looked like she had just won the Super Bowl. Uh, and, uh, you know, at the meeting kind of started out a little lukewarm, you know, and we were Until talking. Until you brought that up. Yeah, and I said, <laughs> you know, I found a picture of you online, and then everything changed. We were supposed to have a half-hour meeting. It turned into an hour meeting. You do that uh, all the time. Oh, it you was do. so fun. It was it was great. And it was almost like we were family all of a sudden. And that's really where you want it to be, where you're, you're really having fun with the people that you're talking with. That's excellent advice because, you know, I think sometimes I just got to speak for myself. Uh, I've gotten into the trap of thinking about people as clients and thinking about friends as friends rather than they're all the same thing. Yes. When you live your life with a more of a purity like that, when you see people and take a genuine interest as you're just describing, it's a game changer. And it makes your entire, it makes your work life, which is like two thirds of your waking hours, makes them so much more enjoyable. It really is. And, and that's the whole thing is like, why, why not get up and go to work and enjoy being with friends instead of, uh, yeah. these are people I have to work with. 
Absolutely. Uh, find out what they're interested in and, uh, and enjoy that. And, and that's what I do. You know, whenever I get together with my sales team before I go out on an appointment, one of the things I like to remind them of is, hey, let's go in there and have fun. And um, it's, it, it changes the whole dynamic. It does. You That's know? excellent advice. You know, I want to say something else about the LinkedIn thing. Another thing that you can and should do, as you said, when you find out what their interests are, what kind of uh, content they're ingesting and that kind of thing, is when you keep that in mind, you know, you, we should all have a power list uh, that is rather dynamic of people that are movers and shakers in your world. And it may be uh, big prospects, but it could be mentors and uh, other things like that. But when you got a feel for what their interests are, share an article with them. So you can keep in touch and keep a door open by just saying, hey, I just read this article I thought you'd be interested in. Check it out and send them a link. That's it. It's simple, but it's a great, easy way to keep in touch. A very personalized way. Yeah, I love that too. Um, and I wanted to say something before I forget. Happy birthday, Hallie. Oh, that's so good. I'm glad yeah. you did that. Happy birthday to my daughter, Hallie, today. She's 27 years old. I can't even believe it. Me either. Oh, 27 years ago, she came into the world and just rocked my world. <laughs> With those beautiful uh, blue eyes. Oh, she so. is. Uh, she has been such an impact on my life. I, I don't want to get choked up here. I just, I, I, I adore her. Um, so life is, oh, yep, I got emotional. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> life is so much better with her in it. And yeah. she is, uh, she's also just a great friend to me as well. Super intelligent, great sense of humor. I love how she doesn't take herself too seriously. She does. She is That's uh, nice. she is definitely a, a star in the world. And she so, is. anyway, yes, thank you. Happy birthday, Hallie! I also oh, wanted to say I forgot uh, to do the gallery view. Oh well, okay. hey, it's still side early, so that's okay. okay. <laughs> uh, I also wanted to say um, that today is also Constitution Day. I and didn't so, know that. Yeah. So a hundred and what was it? 133 years ago today, the Constitution was signed in 1787. And you think about um, how important that is and where we are today. Chipping it's away like, at it, yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's still enshrined. It's a big deal. And uh, the Constitution is where it's at. And I, for one, am a big fan. I know. I love that about you. I really do. Hey, I wanted to talk about some success that I've had with this big project that I've mentioned before. Um, it is uh, juicywork.com. And yeah. that is, yes. And that is Sandy Mobley's baby where she had published a book called Juicy Work. And it was about finding your career of passion, something that we are very much endeared to as well. And I've helped, uh, we have a team where we developed uh, her workshops. Now she's developed these online workshops that we are going, uh, that we are about to sell. So I helped develop the marketing component to do that. And what that means is the sales funnel. And it's a rather complex sales funnel, but this is how, this is really the best way to sell on online training. And you can do anything. You make training out of a successful and lucrative uh, online training package out of just about anything, whether it's making wine, improving your golf, uh, golf swing, how to bowl like a champion, or how to do SEO like I do, uh, how to build your best brand. 
honestly, just about anything. So if you're a business uh, consultant of some kind, you might want to think about putting some online training together. And to market it, though, your best way is at the top of your sales funnel is usually a free webinar. So we just put together a free webinar. Now, there's a real structure to that, to doing that correctly as well. If you want to know more about it, get in contact with me. You go to mail at over50startingover.com. Send me, a, send me a note. Uh, so you get your free webinar, get people in there via Facebook ads. So now you got to, you know, do a Facebook ad campaign to get them in there. Now that you have signups and this is my point. So we just started the launch of the Facebook ads last night and we got, we got uh, signups rolling in even as, as we speak. Oh, nice. Oh, it's oh, such a great beautiful. feeling. We've worked so hard and the client Sandy has made quite an investment in this. If you can imagine, we got a team behind us here. It's a lot of work. So we get them into the free webinar and the last 10 minutes or so of your webinar is really a sales pitch for your paid workshops. So after you give them so much free content and value and uh, front load this too with a, a worksheet that uh, helps them make sense of what you're doing, uh, gives them something interactive to work with. And it also shows a respect for your own content that you are uh, putting these things together. Make sure you uh, bring them back every now and then by saying, hey, got a very important point here. So come back to me if you're multitasking. Hmm. It's very important to show the respect good. in your own work. And offer freebies along the way, other additional worksheets. We call them lead magnets. We, I've had uh, about five downloads of our free online ebook uh, along the way. So these are people that will get on the, the email list of our regular content, just e-newsletters, that kind mm -hmm. of thing. So that's mm -hmm. a very top of the sales funnel. We are bringing them through uh, with the free webinar. Now, what's really difficult is when you offer something for free, it's hard to actually get them to show up. Uh, standard statistics will sh show you about 30% of these people that sign up for your free webinar actually show up to it. Now, how do you get those 30% to stay to the end and listen to your sales pitch? You offer a freebie at the end. Mm. In our instance, we're offering uh, five ways to build your client list. This is for career coach, how to become a career coach. So five ways to keep your sales pipeline filled for your career coaching. Uh, and that's, it's very valuable. It's free. If you stay to the end, we show you the career the coaching. That sounds like fun. Oh, dude, think about this. Uh, during the COVID period, not to mention, as we talk about a lot, careers are in such flux these days. People are getting, at our age, getting downsized all the time out of corporate right. America. They're getting sick of corporate America and want to get out. And COVID has upended everything. So everything. I can't think of a, a career that is more uh, important right now than career coaching. Hmm. Helping people right. get employed or find the employment of their liking. Uh, that's the juicy work angle of this. So, you know, I'm very much in love with the whole subject matter. I am absolutely in love with the work I'm doing on it. And now that we're starting to see success at this end, I, it's just, uh, I'm doing my juicy work, man. I am. Yeah. Really, yeah. Really loving what I'm doing. I'm, I'm enjoying my career now more than I ever have. That is a beautiful statement right mm -hmm. there. And mm -hmm. I kind of like uh, the name too, Juicy Work. That um, 
It sounds like uh, exactly what it is. It's juicy mm. work. That's awesome. Now, here's a really important thing that I want to remind my team of uh, when I speak to them again, is it's really hard the first time around. This will be our first free webinar. And we're offering three different dates, uh, you know, within the same week. So, mm -hmm. you know, people need a little flexibility. Right. Uh, so that I just want to put that out there that that's a good idea to do that as well. But I want to remind my team that being the first go around, don't have high expectations uh, for turnout, for conversions and all that. But whatever we do, uh, and we've worked hard, we've worked hard at crossing our T's and dotting our I's here. But whatever we do, we are gonna have a baseline that we will then look to double in the next go around. So nice. we have up front, we have the Facebook ads <coughs> to pump out and find prospects. We then have a free webinar uh, no, then we have to see how many of those prospects that sign up actually show up to the webinar. That is largely dictated by our series of reminder emails that we're mm -hmm. starting three days out, then the day before, and then an hour before the actual webinar. Just, it's, it's a constant reminder. And it's talk about the value. Hey, make sure that you uh, put a Put the time aside, shut off your phone, pay attention, be ready with your worksheet because we're going to go fast. We're going to give you a lot of great information fast. It's going to change your life. Don't forget, stay to the end. We have this freebie at the end that's going to be extremely valuable. All of these things are very important. What I'm trying to say is though, with the amount of investment that my client put up front on this and all the hard work that we put into it, she's not going to recoup it all in this one webinar. So whatever our, all of our numbers turn out to be, and I'll record every one of them, uh, my goal is to double them next month when we do this whole right. launch again. Right. Now it's going to happen. Now we have much less upfront cost. We just have modifications uh, at right. that point. And yep. we need to try to double our prospect list up front with the Facebook ads. We need to try to double the amount of people that, that sign up. We need to double the amount of people that actually show up to the uh, webinar. And then we need to double the amount of conversions that we have for our actual paid workshops. Right, right. And so this is all baseline stuff you're doing right now. That's exactly right. Yep. And it's got yep. nowhere to go but up from there. I love so it. It's a big investment that is going to pay off hopefully for years to come. Yeah. Yeah. You're building the yeah. machine there for absolutely. That's awesome. And as, very, I, very as, nice. I, as I told them, our next goal should be after we got this completely ironed out is, you know, these are just one-off uh, workshops that you're uh, selling. What we need to do is build a, uh, the online community um, paid membership website. We just got another sign up just now. Um, we oh. need, to, yeah, we've gotten two since we've been talking. Oh, well, how about that? That's pretty cool. It is. Ring nice. the bell. Yeah. <laughs> sure, yeah. <laughs> oh, I forgot what I was going to say. But uh, oh, we need to build towards building an online community with a paid membership website where we're always offering free content, kind of uh, something that I kind of yeah. think that we kind of do at some point as well. Um, but we'll talk about that more later. I say that that, unless you have any questions about that, that's enough about that. And I want to, uh, give, uh, did you have any questions about that? <laughs> I, I don't actually, thanks okay. for giving me a, a chance to weigh in. I, there is a subject I'm, I'm really, I want to talk about with yeah. you real bad. It might be the same I have one, that, one too, but you go. Really? Cause this is, has everything to do with the war on men. Oh, I want to get to that too. But first, 
I want to give a shout out to Lisa's cousin who passed away, oh. went oh. to his wake Wednesday. Uh, and um, he's 56 years old, as I recall. What? Oh, it's, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a tragic story. It's, uh, there's a lot to unpack there. Lisa wrote something and just gave it to me minutes ago. So I have not read it yet, but I'm just going to summarize with saying is very young. Uh, he was just retiring. He did a lot of good in the community. As I recall, I think he was assisting bridging the gap with mentally ill in the judicial system where we don't have anything proper in place in that regard. But, um, he had a, uh, was going to retire to his, as I recall, his dream house with his built-in pool. Uh, and, uh, he just got robbed. He, though, he died in, in his sleep. They think it was an aneurysm. Uh, yeah, went to bed and uh, never woke up. Great way to go. So wow. there is that. But he was only 56. I think he was 56, ah. give or take one year. Okay. And uh, well, I'm going to read young. what Lisa said. I hadn't read it before, so I don't know what's coming here. I feel like I learned so much today at Michael's Celebration of Life. I always knew that he was special, but I discovered so much more. Oh boy, this is going to be tough to get through. I remember Mike is always having a smile on his face. And by the way, the wake was very moving. The amount of love, uh, you know, these Italian families are tight and yeah. this was a really good guy. Genuinely. Uh, I always remember him having a smile on his face and in, in parentheses, maybe more of a mischievous grin. <laughs> a spring in his step, always on the move, always amped up one, one notch more than most people. Fiercely competitive. I heard that repeated over and over again at the wake. Fiercely competitive at everything, not just sports, but at perfecting that sauce and Grandma Rose's meatballs. I heard about that too. Like a, any good Italian. This is really good. Always chiding and always opinionated, sure of who he was and what he believed, unapologetically himself. And thankfully, always living his life with ferocity to the fullest. What a blessing. A uh, bit more here. I have a lot to learn from him. He seemed to have found that evasive, at least for me, balance between work and play, uh, between responsibility and living. I admire his career choice and his ability to work with passion, trying to make a difference in a very broken system. It's huge. He was a social worker for a county for 30 plus years, champion, championing the mentally disabled. He took genuine interest in ownership of the individuals, children and families that came into his fold, and he continued to care for them long after he had to. He finally moved to his brand new home in Florida last year, but on several trips back to Cleveland since then, he would come with a car full of clothes and supplies for the group homes where he had placed so many mentally challenged and disabled individuals, including many neglected children. Jeez, man. I learned from his son how Michael came to choose his profession. When he was a young boy, he bullied, oh my God, this is hard. When he was a young boy, Merle, can you read the rest of this? Can you find this? I will try. Oh, boy. I just got a little uh, too um, personal for me. Yeah, I can understand that. Yeah. So when he was a young boy, he bullied a young boy who he later found out was mentally challenged. He was devastated to learn this, so much so that he vowed not only to never hurt anyone like that again, but in fact would protect and advocate for them. 
what an amazing gesture to the world. My cousin was truly one of the good guys. Gone away too soon, but having left a beautiful imprint. I hope his boys know they had a remarkable role model. No, not perfect, but very special indeed. I'm still having a hard time coming to terms with a sudden passing, but I'm beginning to settle on this. God needed his light on the other side. I have no doubt that he's lit up more than ever right now. Absolutely blown away by what he's seeing in heaven. Boy, that is great writing. And what a great tribute to Lisa's cousin. And I absolutely agree that right now he's absolutely blown away by what he's seeing in heaven. Mm. I remember um, when my dad passed away, somebody told me something that really made an impact on me. And they said, you know, because he died suddenly at about the same age. And somebody, I heard somebody say this, um, maybe it was my mother. Uh, she said, you know, if he had an opportunity to come back right now, he wouldn't ch take it because it's just so good in heaven. They don't call it heaven for nothing. And uh, that's always been very comforting to me to know, mm -hmm. really, I, sh I shouldn't feel bad for my dad. I should feel bad for me because I'm, I'm still here. You, you hit it on the head right there. And I wanted to unpack that a little bit. I had a question that I wanted to ask you. Why do good people die so young and get robbed of their rewards like he was looking forward to this retirement, as we discussed? And I think that you just hit it on the head. It's the same thing that I'd been thinking about is they're not the ones being robbed. They're going to heaven. If you believe in heaven and the, the perfection of it, to leave behind this very painful world, and to be free of your pain and limitations and anxieties mm -hmm. and all of that, that's a blessing. Every funeral should truly be a celebration, but we get confused because of our own grief, our own yeah, loss. Right, right. And how is that? That's so easy, obviously, to confuse when, you know, I lose a loved one. It is, or, you know, my, my pets, it's so freaking painful, but... I think that at the same time, we, I guess what I wanted to ask you, though, is let's put it in a different term. Like when a young child dies, tragically, mm. that is completely innocent, hasn't had a chance to be guilty of much of anything. Yeah. Really? Yeah. In your spiritual terms, just had another sign up. Um, why? Why does this happen? How does God let this happen? Because everybody has asked that question at a point in their lives. Such a great question. I really love the question. And uh, I, I have struggled with that question too until I started to really learn, at least from my Christian Bible, what really the situation is. And when you take a look at the book of Genesis and you understand that this whole world, the whole universe was made for for mankind, for, for Adam and his wife, that's, and, and by the way, his wife was the, 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 the icing on the cake, the best part. He saved the best for last. He, he brought Eve in last. And this world was made for, for the two of them and their offspring, their family. But then Adam rebelled and gave away his ownership of the universe the world over to the devil and now he has the lease he owns the lease he owns the deed to all of this that's down here now god is a just god he's a legal god 
he can't just take back something that has been legally given to somebody else. And that's what the whole death on the cross has to do with, which has not, is, is a completed work, but the manifestation of the completion has not happened yet. So we live in a fallen world. A child dying is not God's will, not God's will at all. People dying before their time, that's not God's will. That's the result of the fact that we live in a fallen world. And in this world, this is a quote from the Bible, in this world, there will be trouble. You're going to have trouble, but be of good cheer because he's overcome the world on our behalf. And so we, we're going to deal with this until God comes back, according to the Bible. The, death is the final enemy that God will defeat. And he's actually already defeated him, death, that is. But the manifestation is coming when Christ comes back. So until that time, we have to deal with these heartaches, and, and it's not something that God is, uh, is happy about either. It grieves him as well. He's a good God. I, I like your answer a lot. I have a slightly different take on it. I've given a lot of thought to this, and, and it gets back to what I said a few minutes ago that, first of all, I think that we need to adjust our thinking that I proposed, and this is one that everybody has pretty much considered. Why would God let this innocent child die so tragically? And, you know, whatever instance that may be. We've all thought of that, though. Uh, and I think it first goes back to you have to switch you're thinking around about who tragically died. What, what does a tragic death mean? It's tragic for the parents and other mm, loved ones. Mm, but mm -hmm. the fact that that child got to go to heaven before and without having to endure this incredible, painful <laughs> life that it is and all of the heartbreaks that come along with it, uh, that's a blessing for that child. First, you got to remember that. You're okay? right. Yeah. The other thing is, is if God wants the best for, ever, for humankind as a whole, there, every individual, like we had this discussion one time when uh, talking about prayer, somebody's going through a hard time and geez, Lord knows I have asked you for so many prayers, uh, so many times, you're my go-to. Um, but there's another side of that where it's like, well, who are you to pray away someone's challenge because that challenge has ramifications on a network of people that that person interacts with. And how do, how do we know that the, those challenges aren't helping in its own way? Those overcoming those challenges aren't helping a network of people that you don't even know about. It's a great point that you're making, Barry. And I was, I was actually, before you said that last part, I was thinking, you know, the, the great thing about God is that he turns tragedy into triumph. There you You're go. talking about the, uh, the, the, the young child that passes away, but he goes to heaven and uh, there's no place better. The, the, no eye has seen, no ear has heard the, the glories that are in heaven. Uh, we can't even imagine how beautiful and wonderful it sure. is. Uh, but then you went on to talk about challenges that other people are having and praying for them. And again, this is where God uses these valley experiences, as I call them, um, to instill something on the inside of you. I think about that movie, The Matrix. Remember where mm. uh, he would uh, he download something into his head, and suddenly he knew jujitsu jiu or <laughs> right. something like that. You know, right. but that's what God does when you're in the valley. 
uh, when you're going through these times, we, we've talked about this before, where challenging times are the times where you have your biggest breakthroughs. This is where God does a download on the inside of you, or at least you have that opportunity if you open your mind to it. And he can turn these tragedies into triumph. Mm. So even though we live in a fallen world, God is still victorious. I mean, boy, it doesn't get much better than that. Agreed. So to wrap this all up, to getting back to Michael, Lisa's cousin, being robbed of his retirement and us being robbed of uh, such a positive person, a selfless, selfless person. Um, I don't think he got robbed. I think he got rewarded. Yeah, it's hard to turn that upside down and look at it that way. But I think uh, for us to be able to carry on, and I'm sure given the information that I have on him, that's what he would want. Mm -hmm. He would want us to not sit around and grieve, but he would want us to, to be inspired by his life and pick ourselves up and keep moving forward. And that's what would glorify his memory. But what a what an awesome tribute that Lisa wrote. Oh, my God, it was. And, geez, I hate to turn this into such an emotional podcast. We've kind of had a lot of that here uh, last well, I, couple of weeks. I actually had a hard time reading it myself. I thought, I, oh, <laughs> back to you, Barry. <laughs> Take every other sentence. Oh, yeah, thank you for taking over uh, on that, though. You know, after going through the wake and just Oh, sure. I was wondering thing. how you were going to do that, actually. When you started reading it, I'm like, oh, boy, here we go. <laughs> very true, very true. You know, I have a, a, good, a quick touching story at the end, too, so stay to the oh, end. Oh, boy. Uh, yeah, okay. yeah, exactly. Another one, get the Kleenex. Yeah, no oh kidding. Gosh. But it, you know, it's it's really good to there's so much negativity negativity going on right now. We need to we need to talk about the good heartfelt things. We do. I agree. Now I agree. more than ever. So, Mer, so let's talk about it. All right. I want to you're going to take things from here. I am. Because, okay. Because we did mention last week that we we're going to pick up the subject matter that you started to bring up before I I had to bring this in, yeah, which led important. to a really great metaphysical conversation about why good people die young. I, right. I've been wanting right. to discuss that for a while, and I'm glad we did. So we could move on to the other one, or we could push it back because we got a half hour to go. That's right. That's right. Okay. So we can pick, we can <clears> pick up there if you want, or we can move on to current events. That's up to you because I don't have much. Well, there, is, there is a lot uh, going on with current events right now. So maybe we should move on to, to that because okay. this whole war on men thing could go on for a little while. Oh, it's going to take a long time. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> it's, it's, I, I just, I do have to say one thing that uh, yeah. about the, uh, the war on men thing, because I think it's kind of funny. Uh, I was, trying to do a little bit of research on this. And the first thing that I came up with, I Googled it, is there a war on men? And I got this, there's no such thing as a war on men. There is a war on sexism, abusers, and rapists. I'm sorry oh if you can't tell the difference and worry about what your sons might learn from that. <laughs> I was just like, this is the war. In, in other words, don't even question it, dummy. Yeah, the war cannot be hard and fast enough and right, take right. out as many of you as possible. <laughs> Jesus. I thought it was, I was just like, I had my hand slapped immediately when I <laughs> tried to think about it. Yeah, uh, Google backlash, holy cow. Hey, I, before we get into current events, I just wanted to, there's just something that I thought, you know what, Barry, you're, you're a writer on Quora, 
Oh. And uh, I, I just had to just first off say, what a great friend you are to me and uh, how honored I was when I got this email from you. But uh, can you just do an intro? Just I know you've talked about Quora before, but tell, tell us what it is. Uh, Quora, like Reddit, I think more people have heard of Reddit than Quora, but they're, they're the same thing. And that, it's, it's, a great, it's a great place to read excellent writing because people ask questions. You just sign up for it, become a member. It's free. Ask any question that you want. People will start to answer, and the best answers the, that get read the most and upvoted the most rise to the top. So the best content always rises to the top, which I find very interesting. So they're intellectual questions and frivolous questions. People answer them. And so I answer a lot of questions as well. I answered this one. I want to read it to you. I got to tell you, though, as, as we've discussed before, Quora does not like me. Quora does not like me at all. And it's a very leftist, like all social media. It's very leftist. And what they do, so you can... Uh, whine and cry to Quora if somebody's answer hurts your feelings and they, they're so-called moderators, they will shoot you down every time if it's not agreeable to the left. I really work very hard at not being too harsh. They have a so-called be nice, be respectful uh, policy, but it goes one way and one way only. It's uh, a very leftist thing. I want to read you an answer, a question and answer that I posted that currently has eight views. In other words, it got immediately flagged by somebody on the, on the left. And so Quora demoted it. And this happens to me quite a bit because if I answer something that is more uh, just behavioral related, I'll, how do you how do you do well at networking? And uh, I'll talk about how to smile, how to talk about other people, all that kind of stuff. And it gets hundreds of views and likes and stuff. But anything that uh, doesn't make that makes the left uncomfortable, they will report me right away. And that is how that is how the war on speech is taking place in social media is they whine and cry and call victimhood and uh, they are appeased. That's, that's what happens with all these rioters. Oh, they're whining and crying and we appease them. Oh, sure. Right. Defund the police. That makes sense. Well, let's go with that. Cause they say, right. no, yeah. okay. So I'm going to read this. The question was why are black or minority conservatives labeled as sellouts very often? Are they guilty? Uh, are they actually, are, are there any that are genuine? Are there any genuine black or minority conservatives? So I had to answer with, I listen to a black Christian conservative every week on a podcast. He lives in LA and sticks his neck out each week, providing current events slash political commentary, damning the black lives matters, the, the BLM movement and mainstream media. He's on a mission to better things for all people in this country. Does that qualify him as being a sellout? He is genuinely passionate about political history and is a constitution buff. He backs up all of his arguments with political facts and relates them to our present day follies, pointing out our miseducation and hoping to prevent us from repeating deadly mistakes that we made in the past. He's also my dear friend and co-host of Over 50 Starting Over, Merle Garrison. Anyone that would like to try to accuse him of being a sellout, I'll gladly bring you on the show. And uh, right on, Barry. Yeah, uh, I just, you know, I wish there was free speech. Um, 
I would love to generate, uh, I would love to get someone on this show that is very passionate about their leftist views and I'll call you a sellout. I think that would be marvelous. I would love to debate that person as long as it was an actual debate and we were able to look at the facts and we were able to go through that without becoming emotional and uh, an attacking right. character because that seems to be the the strategy the on the left is to attack character, forget about facts and gloss over that because the facts are the facts. There's a great movie out there right now about conservative black people called Uncle Tom by... Uh, uh, let's see here who you did mentioned that, that a movie. Few weeks Larry ago. Elder. Yeah, yeah, this is a great movie. It talks about why, why, why would a black person not support the progressive movement? And there are a ton of reasons. In fact, when you educate yourself on the history of this whole thing, you'll never think that way again. And so I highly recommend that movie, Uncle Tom. But I think it's interesting, Barry, that you talk about these things on, on a public forum and then you are censored. Mm -hmm. And especially when you're talking about something like this and you're talking about the Constitution and in the Bill of Rights, which is a part of the Constitution, the very first amendment guarantees our, our right to free speech. And that has been attacked. It, there has been a terrible attack on free speech, and mm -hmm. as as and this is this is bigger than just free speech. And I think people underestimate the power that is being curtailed because what you say has everything to do with what you think, and freedom has everything to do with the ability to use your your God given abilities that are in your brain and the ability to imagine and the ability to express your thoughts is everything of, of, of what free speech is. And I just see it in, in online big tech companies, especially as we come up to this election, the amount of disinformation that's out there, the amount of information that's hidden from us, that's completely shut down. And I gotta say, as I take a look at this whole mask thing, I was thinking about this the other day and thinking, gosh, you know, this actually seems to be a way to eliminate a good chunk of free speech. I don't know if that's the design or not. It kind of feels like it. I don't know what but, you mean. Well, okay, here's the deal. <laughs> I was thinking about it this way too. Like for instance, um, I was in a restaurant and you know, out here, the only restaurants you can go to are outside, but here comes the waiter and he's got a mask on, and he's got like this visor over his head, and he says, uh, <laughs> and, and you pretend you know what he said, because you know they say the same thing every time, and you go, oh yeah, well thank you, uh, I'm, I'll, I, I just need to look at the menu for a second, and then they say, and you're like, oh, God, I have no idea what this guy said. But yeah. is it, I just saw a study that talked about how is this uh, mask wearing affecting children? And I thought it was interesting. One of the first things it, it was talking about, will this have long-term effects on children? And the, the, the actual article was talking about how kids, especially 12 and under, need to be able to see facial expressions. And they, that's a big part of their learning process. And you can't actually read nonverbals when you can't see half of a person's face. 
I started thinking about, well, I don't know if that's just affecting kids 12 and under. When I, when I walk through the neighborhood and I wave to people and they're wearing a mask, I can't tell if they're smiling at me. I kind of disagree. You see it you, in you can? eyes. Yes. Oh, okay. I see I, it in I, people's I, eyes. Yeah, yeah, I can't really. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. you, you're taking away half of that person's ability to communicate by covering up half of their face. Nonverbals uh, are huge. I don't like the politicization of this mask stuff. Uh, I'm I don't hoping, like it either. Because uh, I don't see it. I don't think politics. I think it's only people that get into uh, news commentary that make it political. And I hate to say it, but that's what you're doing. And because if, I don't as, think I am. As I, soon as I, you bring it up as such, then it becomes as such for you. But it's not for me. Um, the I understand few, what you're saying. The few people, because I've heard other people say, well, Trump people on their mask deal. Uh, and mm. I don't know. The I few think that's people, making it political. The, exactly. The few people you, I've seen not wearing masks in stores where they're supposed to be wearing masks, I'm telling you, I don't, they don't look like Trump supporters to me. So uh, I, I don't think they're thinking about politics at all. So yeah. uh, I, don't, I don't buy into any of that. And I, I'm hoping that we get on the other side of this soon. Yeah. I wanted to discuss that with you too, the vaccine situation. Well, hold on. Let me go, go back to this because you said I was being political about this. But I don't think that our ability to communicate in free speech and being a liberty of ours is being political. I think that's talking about our freedom. And freedom is something that surpasses politics. And, uh, and, I, and I find that wearing a mask outside is prohibitive of communication. I mean, you could wave to people and you can say, oh, I can see how they're looking at me. But I'm telling you, being able to see your full face and see your smile or see your half smile or whatever, that's an important part of communication to me. I agree. And I think that that's beyond politics. And I do believe that this has an effect on people. One, another part of the study talked about how kids, uh, they need to be able to see people's full faces for recognition purposes. I just think we're in this situation where it seems to be that we are very limited when it comes to this. And there does seem to be a, an attack on our ability to communicate, as you mentioned with the Quora article, where we're seeing this all over the place. So whether this is by design or not, that's debatable, but it does have an effect. And I just think wearing masks outside, which by the way, probably 75% of the people here do that, just they're, I mean, you're not even near anybody, but you're wearing a mask. Mm -hmm. I think that's taking it over the top. Well, I agree. Like, so you guys have to wear masks as soon as you leave your house. Is that correct? That's like been, that's become, that has be, been the directive no. from mm -hmm. the state. Mm -hmm. uh, not very many people were doing that at first, but mm -hmm. it has become a social moray now where mm -hmm. people are shaming other people for not uh -oh. doing that. And of so course. now you're seeing, even in parks, like people are, people are exercising, they're jogging, they're riding their bicycle. They're, they're not even a hundred feet away from anybody, but yet they're wearing a mask. I think that's a shame. Uh, I, I see where you're too. coming from because we're not like that here. Now, every store is mandated. You know, you go into a public place. You have that's to wear a different mask. to me. Oh, I, I agree with you, but nobody, in fact, even at the gym, I go to the gym uh, nearly every weekday morning and uh, you got to walk in and walk out with your mask on 
But when you're doing the exercises, most people take it off. I, I just put it to the side uh, and I kind of forget about it. So we went to the wake on Wednesday. No one's wearing them at a great big outdoor uh, pavilion and all of that. And uh, no one's wearing a mask and people are hugging and stuff. I, I have a policy though. I, I'm in fist bump mode. Uh, yeah. until we get on the other side of this. I don't think people should be hugging and st it's just some common sense. Well, COVID is still rampant, you know? Well, I have to admit that hugging, I'm a hugger, but it Me does too. seem Me uncomfortable too. to do that now. But as I take a look at the statistics of what's actually happening out there with COVID-19, it does seem to me that uh, we have made a way bigger deal out of this than, than, than there has to, especially as we take a look at the vulnerable groups. I think that there are, we've identified and we've made it very clear through the science that there are vulnerable groups that are out there that we need to be careful with. And mm -hmm. especially with the elderly or people that have comorbidities, comorbid yeah. those are the people that we need to be careful of. And it's interesting this week in the news, we've got um, one of uh, one of the uh, new people on Trump's team that uh, has been out there. Let's see if I can find his name. He's, uh, he's yeah, Scott Atlas. This is the new target for the left, but he's a special advisor to the president and a member of the White House uh, Coronavirus Task Force. And he's out there talking about these things where he says, uh, uh, he's talking about the kids having to go back to school or that they should go back to the school. And one of his quotes is that uh, fewer than 400 deaths in the country uh, come from people that are under 25. And that's uh, out of 330 million, that's fewer than the 407 from in influenza, uh, the 4,685 4, uh, accidents that have happened, the 6,700 suicide, the 5,500 homicides. Uh, he starts comparing these to things that are happening every day around us that we think nothing of. And um, the, this, the statistics are in that uh, people between 18 and 29 are at a very low risk. And when you take a look at the schools, the age of the teachers, fewer than... Um, something like 20% of those are in the in in that age group or that vulnerability group so why not adjust a program to protect those people well that guy has been totally attacked for saying mm -hmm. that and uh they're saying well he's a science denier and uh <laughs> and then he's he's that, said that's all their these latest go to yeah, uh, I you don't want to be a, a bigot or a science denier i only just recently uh figured that out uh, I, I'm always a little late to the show. We got a, people around here that have uh, the same sign going on. It's, it's top of it is Black Lives Matter and Women Rights Matter. And then science is real. And I always like, I mean, I was like, what does that mean? Well, now I figured it out because every time somebody talks about climate change, that's their go-to slogan is, oh, you're a science denier. You don't believe the science. I only just figured that out. And as we've talked about before, first of all, with, and I don't mean to uh, interrupt your flow there, but um, the, the climate change thing, I don't know what to make of. I, I say on the one hand, uh, common sense wise, that we've been pumping all that pollution up into the atmosphere for over 100 years since the Industrial Revolution. What do you expect? Something's going to give in some way or another sooner or later. But on the other hand, I also know that we go through cycles of climate. Uh, that's inevitable. That always happens. 
then I also know that a lot of these scientists are uh, bought, they're bought off. And I, I remember hearing a science, a scientist explain this and I couldn't do it eloquently, but in order to get grants and funding. Oh yeah. 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 So I don't know what to believe. I really don't. Well, it's uh, interesting. Not a, I won't go with a political viewpoint on it. Well, it is interesting to take a look at the same people that are, you know, talking about global warming and the uh, epidemiologists uh, that are all talking about this. The ones that that uh, uh, really are at the center of the global warming issue are the exact same people that are pushing all of these restrictions when it comes to COVID-19. They're the exact same scientists and they're highly linked to the United Nations and the World Health Organization. And so you have to start to look at, wait a second, these people seem to have another goal than our safety. And what we're really seeing right now is we're seeing a battle. And I'm, uh, as we as we come towards this election that's happening here in what six weeks, something like that. Wow. Uh, we yeah. are. I know it's it's speeding towards us. We have the first debate coming up next week. This is all happening very quickly, and this is a world changing election that's happening right now. Yeah. And what we're really looking at, a lot of people think it's the Republicans versus the Democrats on this whole thing. That's nothing of the sort. What we're looking at right now is we're looking at a nationalist style government, which has been the type of government that's been out there for hundreds of years versus a globalist style government. And you've got uh, our constitution, which really exemplifies our nation and the way of life that we're supposed to have here in the United States versus a an elite set of people, mostly in either business or politics or show business, uh, that are across the world that want to take away our liberties and have them for our for themselves so that they can manage our lives and and really create advantages for themselves and and that's what i'm seeing through this whole defund the police effort and and things like that that are happening especially as we come close to the election and this whole thing that's happening with um the the us mail and the the doubts that are happening right now, what we're hearing constantly in the news is this, this effort to delegitimize our election process, which when you take a look at our way of government, the only thing that makes our government legitimate is the, the, the actual election process. If we lose faith in the election process, we lose the entire thing. Mm -hmm. And it seems like there is a concerted effort to make that happen. I, I brought this up on the show a couple of weeks ago, but it was a, uh, an article that came out in the Washington Post, and it, it was, <clears throat> it was uh, put together by the Transition Integrity Project, in which they had convened these war games and exercises, and they wrote about it in the Washington Post that suggested the likelihood of a contested election scenario and of the ensuing uh, chaos that uh, would happen when President Trump 
refuses to leave the office. And they went through four different scenarios of how he's going to say that the election was fake, there were fake votes, and that uh, this the election process didn't work, and therefore he's not going to leave office. This then, is ridiculous. And then it goes into all of these different scenarios of how the reaction is going to happen, how the the right, the political right, is going to uh, uh, go out in the streets and cause violence, but they're going to blame it on the left, and they're going to say, no, it was the leftists that did this, and they're going to, this is going to be, be mass violence. In the no, I'm not kidding you. And um, this was all in the Washington Post. There are, there are four different scenarios that are in there, only one of them, did not invite violence. And, and that was if Joe Biden were to win by a landslide. Now, um, they uh, uh, talked about how they put these war games together and how they brought these people into the war games, this group called the Transition Integrity Project, or TIP. Uh, they, they brought people in that they said were, were, that worked as Republicans, some people like that, that we know, uh, some people we don't know that are in there and people that were on the Democrat side. And they said at the end, the people on the Trump side of things acted in a ruthless way and did anything. And didn't matter if it was legal or not. They did anything possible to retain power. Well, the people on the Biden side were just trying to maintain justice and peace. And just, it was it was really pretty crazy. But it it's also it's upside down. It's 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 upside down until you start to see who's really behind this whole thing. And um, one of the one of the interesting things that came out of this was this gentleman by the name of Norm Eisen, E I S E N, who has um, who is a specialist in what they call a color revolution. And the color revolution, just to put it. Uh, um, in broad terms, it's not. It doesn't have anything to do with race. This is a tactic that the CIA has used ever since the Cold War to bring down authoritative governments in the Eastern Bloc of the European Union uh, that were uh, that were cozying up to the Soviets. They would use. Uh, propaganda. Let me just read this. Uh, in this context, it refers to a specific type of coordinated attack that the United States government has been known to deploy against foreign regimes, particularly in Eastern Europe, deemed as authoritarian and hostile to American interests. Rather than using a direct military intervention to affect regime change, as in Iraq, color revolutions attack a foreign regime by contesting its electoral legitimacy organizing mass protests and acts of civil violence and leveraging media contacts to ensure favorable coverage to their agenda in the Western press. This uh, person, Norm Eisen, has written a book called The Playbook, and this is really a taken off of the actual way that the U.S. government has done this in other nations. And this person is a part of the Transition Integrity Project and using these exact same tactics that are in the playbook that have been used successfully against our, our, our so-called enemies on the Trump administration. Now, I don't believe that it's about Donald Trump. I believe that it's about 
taking power away from the people, taking their liberties and freedoms away from the people. That's what this is all about. And there is a large contingent of people out there that will come out into the streets and cause violence because they are all about this as well. And, you know, that's what we're seeing in the streets today in our major mm -hmm. cities and everything is that there is a large contingent of people that, in my mind, have already started the civil war or the revolution that there have been has been if we just look at it what's going on right now this past yeah. week here in los angeles two police officers were shot in their cars in their car uh -oh. just sitting there right in the face we had a, a u.s marshal shot shot uh yesterday day before yesterday guarding a courthouse uh we had um Another uh, uh, police, two police officers had their houses shot at just last night. Uh, one of them had a baby in the house. We have foreign, we have federal buildings that have been under attack now for months. We have large mobs coming out into the street, uh, going to restaurants, <laughs> drinking their beer. Uh, it's, 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 it's crazy what's happening right now. And it seems to me that we are headed for a nexus in this uh, election period that we're in. I can't wait for it to be over on the one hand. And when you said six weeks, I went, oh, my God, uh, I feel so conflicted. On the one hand, I cannot wait for it to be over. Uh, the news cycles with all the disinformation out there really bothers me. Uh, the mudslinging. Uh, and, and things, it's like, they, it's the, if you throw enough stuff up against the wall, surely some of it will stick. Uh, I think it's horrifying. And, well, um, but on the other hand, I'm scared of the election coming up. I am too. I mean, I'm, I'm concerned about what's going to happen. And here's the Very other much. thing is that I believe that these riots that we've seen out there that have been uncontested by certain people in the media and also in government, which has encouraged these riots. We have seen where cities are not arresting these people. The police are not doing anything. They've been defunded in many situations. Yeah. Uh, this has been a tactic. This is part of the color revolution, but Man, that cat has gotten out of the bag. It is out of control. It's become a monster. And you're seeing that uh, there are certain people that uh, have, have not said anything that are suddenly saying things. Joe Biden now is condemning the violence. Nancy Pelosi is condemning the violence out there, blaming it on Trump, of course. Of course. Um, but what you're seeing now is, and what I'm really understanding in the polls is that the people in general in this country do not like that. And they're associating President Trump with law and order, and they're associating Joe Biden with everything that we've seen over the last three or four months that's happening to our cities. And I just predict that, uh, that as we come into the election, that we're going to see that in the in in the election and i don't think that joe biden has a chance to win that's my prediction i agree uh, but i think that that means that <clears throat> the election isn't going to cause this to be over <clears throat> and while they're saying that trump isn't going to give up office we already heard hillary clinton say i don't think that joe biden should ever concede on this election i think that this is the beginning this could be the very beginning of a long, a much more violent and longer uh, so-called protest against the authority that's been 
duly elected by by uh, by our system and yeah. that's what i'm seeing here and i just feel like just brace yourself gosh <sighs> this this uh debate is happening next week and i never thought joe biden would would have the guts to go in there and actually mm. debate donald trump because of everything that i've seen on television mm. where mm. he the man's having a hard time just talking he is. He, he sure is. I, I just can't wait for this to be over with. I really can't. Uh, and it's if, cringeworthy. It's very cringe. Oh, the debates will be horrifying. I don't, I, I'll watch some of it like with my hand over my face, you know, <laughs> uh, peeking through my fingers. Uh, I understand. It's, yeah, it's, it's terrible. Hey, I wanted to ask you if you heard about this article. I'm going to read the headline, a quote. We can have Wakanda. Do you know what Wakanda is? It's a fictional uh, place in Africa that's hidden from the rest of the world in the Black Panther. Yeah. And uh, it's all black and it's super technologically advanced and nobody knew about it until the uh, Avengers movie. Um, We just have to build it. 19 families, end of the quote, 19 families buy 97 acres of land in Georgia to create black-only safe space town called Freedom. But whites who are pro-African-American, in quotes, can apply to live there. And that's, the headline says it all. So I find it interesting. Um, I, I, I don't, need to expound on it any more than that. So uh, I, th- I find it very interesting. I read the comments and the comments were very negative about this, saying that this is very racist and, uh, and illegal. However, my thoughts on it are, we already, so it, what if whites did this? What if a bunch of whites got together, bought up some property and said, well, only white, white safe uh, black people can join in our community. Every state in the union has these communities. We call them uh, white flight communities. Okay, that's what white people do. They, they, uh, when black people infiltrate the neighborhood, they move out into the cornfields and put up some strip malls and build their own safe communities. So I think that this is a very interesting experiment. I'm all for it. Hmm, interesting. I, I, I have um, a suspicion that I don't have all the information. I actually read about this earlier and I thought, hmm, it seems to me that this is an article that is leaving out some information. First off is 19 families buying property. Um, Okay, so now they've bought private property. Is that right? Because that's the part that I'm I'm a little confused about is, okay, so how is it that people can apply to live there? I think it was like something like 120 acres or something like that. Which 97 a, acres, man. That's okay, a lot so of property. It, it, it actually is about the size of a large farm. Um, to think, if you really think about it, it's not the mm. size of a city or anything like that. So mm. when you start to really break this down, it's not it's a private property thing, which if I have private property and I want somebody to live on my property with me, I can choose whoever I want to live on my property. Sure. It's my property, right? Exactly. Um, so it's not really a town. It's my property. It's a, gated, it's a gated community. Maybe you could call it a gated community, but it's really like I just bought this farmland and and you know, who do I want to live there? It seems to me like the author of the article is making it sound like it's something that it's not in order to inflame our passions ah, regarding right. racism. 
you're probably right. If it is at face value, what it is, I think it's a very interesting experiment and it can expose like whatever their intent is, if they think they're going to uh, create a super society, because when they say we can have Wakanda, that's what Wakanda is, is a right. black super society. Sure. Um, On a hundred acres. Yeah, no, I'm all <laughs> for it. I, because it could have po very positive ramifications. Uh, as we know, largely fueled by the media, the black community is completely uh, inflamed. Uh, they put a lot of the media puts a lot of hate out there, and maybe if 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 these black people feel that this is a safe space, as it says in quotes here, safe space town, uh, then maybe uh, if it works, maybe more of these can be created. And I don't know. I yeah. although I've always had the feeling that true desegregation is our uh, is our real solution. Um, yeah. So I, I, I agree. I don't, I, I hate the thought of separating up into our little tribes and, and fiefdoms. I, I don't, I don't like that. Tribes uh, war. I, I, I feel like that's the plot that's being used against us. You know, mm -hmm. I just saw a, a poll this week that talked about white people versus black people and how they feel about defunding the police. And it was 81% of blacks, 86% of whites, uh, did not want to defund the police. They wanted it either to stay the same or they you, wanted more money pumped into it. Yeah, you mentioned that. I think and, that's really interesting because you and, don't hear that. And I'm, that's a super majority of people that are black and white that, that you, you, you look at the media and you're like, wait a second, it seems like all people, especially black people, are mad because they're, you know, they're being oppressed by the white police officer, mm -hmm. which is a lie. It is. And we, we're not seeing it that way. So I feel like this article is, is really sort of a, uh, a trap for people to fall into this whole black people are angry and they need to separate from white people. I, I for one, don't feel that way. Of course, people might say that I'm one of those guys, a black conservative. He's an Uncle yeah. Tom. So but I really don't believe that the majority of black people feel that. I believe that as we see these, uh, this violence against the government, this violence against the police, I believe that this is a turning point for people to wake up to see that, wait a second, this isn't about black lives matter. This isn't about me or what's good for me. They're, they're using me. They're taking advantage of me in order to gain power. And then here's another thing I was thinking about, and I know we're running short on time, but this yeah, is are. important, is that from a black perspective, well, black people have traditionally almost always en masse voted Democrat. Mm -hmm. And we know that the Black Lives Matter movement is supposed to be about black lives but we know that it's a political movement Absolutely. and it's being used as a political movement but if you already have black people in the bag as far as voting democrat then it must be a political movement for somebody else mm -hmm. and my thought is this is that this is a movement not to attract black people not to help black lives but it's a political movement in yes, order to get white liberal votes and it's working and it's really crazy that, that people are allowing themselves to be used in that manner. And I believe that the black community is being manipulated that way. Mm -hmm. And it's wrong. And I, I'm, I'm, what I'm seeing out there is I'm seeing people waking up 
to what's actually happening because of the terrible violence that no one can stomach all in the name of this movement, which is evil. And that's, mm. that's my take. Well said. I agree with every word of it. We both know it's a Marxist movement. Uh, it is. It certainly is. As we wind up, I wanted to share a very nice story, heartwarming story uh, about, if I say the name right, Tahlequah, the orca whale. Do you remember, I vaguely remember this, two years ago, 2018, there is an orca whale uh, that was carrying, i just read the headline. Um, yeah, let me just read this. Is a, okay, so Tahlequah is a mother again after famously mourning her dead calf in 2018. The killer whale touched hearts everywhere during her, her in quotes, tour of grief. And this is an article in today.com. Tahlequah made headlines in 2018 when she was seen carrying her dead calf on her head for 17 days over a distance of about 1,000 miles off the coast of Washington in British Columbia. Oh, that's just heartbreaking. But the beautiful thing is she's seen uh, with her new calf riding side by side with her uh, for, you know, uh, for quite a while now. Uh, they figure that the calf is only a few weeks old at this point um, by the shape of the dorsal fin. And she has broken away from the, the tribe, so to speak, the, uh, because she's very, very protective of her new calf. So it's a beautiful uh, that's story. awesome yeah yeah i love cool. that i love uh when in animals when you can see yeah. that human type of motions yeah. in animals it's really quite a thing it shows that there's so much more of a consciousness <laughs> or awareness than we typically give them credit for love is so powerful oh isn't it it's, it's everything. the most powerful force i believe <clears throat> in the universe it certainly is because it's the purity i as i've said before i believe that heaven and god is just pure unconditional love amen and, yeah we certainly see that in our dogs oh, hey boy. with that man we got to sign off hey everybody go to over 50 starting over.com and sign up for your favorite podcast of choice or see our youtube video and most importantly just uh sign up to our email list you get all this right to your email box as it drops all right love you brother talk love to you, you next week